0: We're on the next um, section of Titus, which is Titus chapter 1, and just two verses today verses 5 and 6. And you might think, well, that's going to be a quick one. <laughs> and then you look at me and think, no, unlikely. Um, actually, there are two verses that are loaded with really quite instructive comments um, that we can um, glean from. Um, I'm not going to, it's it's about uh, overseers and how overseers are to be appointed. We'll read it in a second. But there are are three main scriptures that give us instruction on overseers, what they do, the qualifications, and how they're recognised. And they are Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, and 1 Peter 5. They're the three passages of New Testament scripture that deal with this, and we'll probably be visiting all of those, I would suggest, in the next couple of weeks. Um, But there are no shortage of other important scriptures that give us instruction on overseers, and I'd like to read three of them first, so separate from the three main ones. Let's go to John 21, and we might consider this as the Great Commission of overseers and obviously it's the Lord in his resurrection with his disciples having had breakfast with them and verse 15 of John 21 um then they had finished eating Uh, sorry when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you truly love me more than these yes Lord he said you know that I love you Jesus said feed my lambs Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was heard because Jesus asked him this third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's a a commission to Peter and Um, There's so much in it, isn't there? But Peter had denied the Lord and he'd returned. As Jesus said, he had prayed for Peter that um, he would return and um, be a support for his brothers. Um, And now we're getting the Lord Jesus saying to Peter that You have a job to do and it's to feed my lambs and to tend my flock. And of course it was addressed specifically to Peter and he had uh, a writing to do about um, what it means to tend the flock and we we will touch on that. But I'd just like to share that as a, a kind of opening foundation. It's a commission from the Lord directly that he had a flock that needed to be tended. And in this case, he was choosing Peter as one of many who would have that privilege. The next verse I'd like us to go to is Acts chapter 20. These are kind of incidental verses. The the key message is not about overseers, but you get um, a sense um, from what's said of some of the things about overseers. And the context of Acts 20 Is It's an oversight meeting with Paul. Uh, Remember Paul is is a traveller and he's called an oversight meeting from overseas from the church in Ephesus. So they're meeting together um, away from Ephesus and he's speaking to them in a very emotional sense because he had a conviction that they wouldn't see each other again. And what he says in verse 27 is, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. This is uh, the Apostle Paul to overseers in Ephesus. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And the, the point I wanted to emphasize there is that it is the Holy Spirit who makes overseers. It says that specifically and explicitly and that's a really important thing for us to bear in mind. So there's a commission directly from the Lord. There is an appointment made by the Holy Spirit himself. And then one verse in Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, there's a few verses in Hebrews 13 that reference overseers, but we'll go to verse 17 And it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. uh, For that would be no advantage to you. And the point I want to make from Hebrews 13 verse 17 is overseers are accountable for their behaviour and I think for how the flock responds to the leadership it's a serious business imagine um, having to give an account to the Lord one day for how we served him as overseers you might think well this message is for overseers which it is but it's overseers and everybody else as well has to be said let's go to our verse in Titus chapter 1 and it's Paul's charge to Titus um, I'm go, Even though we, we have verses 5 and 6 to focus on I just want to read to verse 9 Just so we get a fuller picture I won't trespass on to next week's message uh, Paul says to Titus The reason I left you in Crete Was that you might strength, straighten out what was left unfinished And appoint elders in every town As I directed you An elder must be blameless The husband of but one wife a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's word, work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the... Trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. I'd like also to go to the second um, key scripture on the topic which is first Timothy three and you'll see a lot of synergy overlap. Uh, with what Paul has to say to Timothy on exactly the same subject. And I just wanted to read those verses so we get a sense of um, the emphasis that Paul is giving by repetition. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart, sorry I'm in First Timothy 3 verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he, des- he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited. And fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So let's uh, come back to our Titus scripture and a little bit of context. This is really just a, a reminder. Paul um, and Titus had either a really, really short visit to Crete. Um, or some thoughts are that Paul had two visits to Crete Um, the first for sure was just prior to a shipwreck um, where they took refuge in a a safe harbour in Crete Um, and against Paul's advice the uh, owner of the ship set sail anyway despite the weather Um, it could be It's unclear as to how long they stayed in that harbour. All we know is it it wasn't a harbour that they could stay for over winter. Um, So my sense is it was a very brief stay. You get this from Acts 27. You can explore that. uh, We can explore that ourselves. It's probably more likely that they spent a bit of time, maybe only a few days in Crete. But of course, Paul being Paul, took every opportunity. And the... Cretans responded positively to the message. So when Paul was released from house arrest in Rome, uh, some years later, he made a quick trip back to Crete with Titus and uh, established some churches there. Whichever those is right, I, I'm, I'm unsure. Um, but the point is that churches had been established in Crete by Paul at some point, but he hadn't been able to spend enough time... Um, of finishing that process, so we go to verse 5 and he says, the, He says to Titus, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. So, the first point is that elders, um, sorry, that a church is, in Paul's words, unfinished if elders ha- have not been appointed. This is a really key and simple um, statement that for a church of God to be functional and properly established, then churches, uh, then elders uh, need to be appointed. And he was um, instructing Titus to do this in Crete because they hadn't had the time uh, to do it. so that was titus's key role was to appoint elders in every town this passage of scripture also gives us a a license to um, use the term elders and overseers in the same context so um, They're actually different words, they're not the same word in Greek, but they are actually used to describe the same people. And you get that in in Titus uh, 1 verse 5, where they're described as elders, that's who he has to appoint um, in every church, sorry, in in every town. Um, And then in verse 7, he goes on to describe them as overseers. Two different words. Elder is uh, presbyteros, which means an older or a senior person. And overseer is episcopus, one charged to oversee the work of others such that it is done correctly. So you have these two expressions. Um, Overseer, incidentally, is also translated, translated bishop. Um, and they are used, I think, um, to describe the same role and the same group of people. Elders were to be appointed in every town. Now that's a really curious statement. Why didn't Paul say appoint elders in every church? Um, I think that the it's a verse that anchors the truth that churches of God are anchored to a specific town, a a geographical location. We're not talking about a building. We're talking about a place. Uh, And that, of course, is the the practice of the churches of God today, um, that we are the Church of God in Manchester. The reality is, though, um, that there may have been more than one um, gathering of the church in any given town. In these days, it was more likely to be house gatherings. So you have the sense that there was a church of God in a certain Cretan town. It was one church, but it may have had multiple locations where it met within that town. And it was uh, Titus's responsibility to make sure that... um, overseers were appointed in each town. So you get the sense of this um, leadership that was required to look after the the flock of God in a given town related to a specific geographical location and it was uh, Titus's responsibility uh, to do that. Note the plural. It's another interesting um, point to draw out from this. He was to to appoint elders, plural, in each town, singular. So I think there's a, another principle here that for a church of God um, to be finished, let's call it that, properly established. He would said his work had been unfinished because elders hadn't been appointed. Then the principle is that there needs to be more than one elder associated with a church of God in a specific town. What a wise thing. It's two, thing, two things come to mind. Um, there is no place for one-man ministry in the New Testament pattern for churches. That's something that's emerged since. And why not? Well, um, you end up literally with that. One man doing what that man uh, thinks is best. And um, that's not what it's about. It's about a church doing what God instructs us to do. And there is no better than having at least two, ideally a whole team of men who can work together, collaborate together, understand God's instructions together and um, tend and feed the flock and lead the flock together. Just a small point, but it's there quite clearly um, in what Paul was saying. Let's go to um, the, the criteria in verse six, that um, it's verse six to verse nine, really, that Paul is saying to Titus, these are the things that will determine whether um, a, a brother is it's appropriate to recognise him as an overseer or not. Again, making the point that this is a spirit-led um, appointment, as we got from Acts chapter twenty. There are actually, I counted just in the Titus scripture, 18 different criteria. Some are positive, some are negative. Some are things that the overseer must be able to do and uh, some are things that he must not do. And um, most of those 18 show up after verse 6. So I'm just going to deal with the first four as I see them. Now the first one is so easy to um, overlook and um, Paul says um, you must put, appoint elders um, in every town. Actually that word is, uh, can be both masculine and feminine. But it is very clear by the next statement, the husband of one wife, that these elders were to be men. And you might say, well, or if you were a sceptic, you might say, well, that's just Paul uh, in his uh, misogynistic way being prejudiced against women. And that's often uh, the way it's taken. Or actually, it's a quirky thing. We had a really excellent introduction to Titus from Giles who was saying how the Crete, where all of this is happening, was a pretty awful place. And uh, Cretans were known for... um, being liars, <laughs> what a shocking thing. Um, and the point is that, you know, Paul was making um, special instructions that were appropriate to the culture at the time. But um, we, we can't overlook the reality that um, Paul is insisting that the appointment of elders and overseers is for men only. And that's not because of a a quirk in the culture or the circumstances of the time. It's to uphold a key scriptural principle of headship. And it goes all the way back to Eden when Adam and Eve were created. Um, There are three things that I would just point us to without going into the detail that are there in the scriptures that demonstrate this idea of headship is not just to be dismissed as something that was appropriate at the time. It goes back to Eden. The second point is it's illustrated in biblical marriage. That's a man and a woman and the relationship that they have with them. I emphasise that's the biblical pattern for marriage. And it's illustrated in the biblical pattern for churches of God too the distinct roles of men and women. And these things are illustrations of the principle that is the relationship, it's a mysterious relationship that Christ has with his church. These are precious scripture, scriptural doctrines that are not understood in any other way than by revelation from the Holy Spirit. And the principle of headship is as illustrated in the role of men and women in a church of God, the, the role of, or how a biblical marriage should be. These things are there to uphold and illustrate that fundamental truth about headship. So the first thing is he is to be, uh, the elder is to be a man. Uh, of course that's not very trendy these days, in fact it's highly politically incorrect in our society but it's scripture and we have to abide by scripture and it's so helpful to be able to see that uh, this is not just um, a, a passing verse it's embedded in fundamental scriptural principles from the very beginning. The second point is that the elder to be appointed was to be blameless that is above reproach or unaccused this is to do with his reputation that um, you know he wasn't the object of, of criticism it's quite interesting that these um, four things the fact that he's a man the fact that he's unaccused he's blameless the next one is the husband of one wife we'll come to that and the fourth one is that his children um, are not unruly these are four things which are seen from the outside. We read in First Timothy 3 that he was to have um, the confidence of outsiders. He was to have a good reputation amongst outsiders. So someone who's blameless would be seen by outsiders, people not even in the church, as someone who was upright and above reproach. And the third point is he was to be the husband of one wife. Some ambiguity here, to the extent that It's been a topic in overseers' conference discussions for, I think, a couple of times. Um, The thought is that there's three possible meanings of this expression, that the overseer was to be the husband of one wife, and that's mentioned both in Titus and in Timothy. And the first is uh, there would be no polygamy, no husbands having multiple wives. You know, polygamy was something that clearly was tolerated by God in the Old Testament, but it's disqualified in the New Testament. It's not something that uh, is appropriate uh, in the New Testament. And of course, an elder is to be an example. Uh, And so if in New Testament times, in certain places, there was a culture of polygamy, then here's the example being set by overseers that it was not acceptable to God. The second possibility or uh, not an alternative but as well as the polygamy idea was the overseer wasn't to be divorced and remarried. God tolerated divorce in the Old Testament. He doesn't tolerate it in the New Testament. So again as a matter of example it was inappropriate for an overseer to be divorced and remarried, remarried, which is our practice today uh, in Churches of God. So if a a brother is divorced and remarried, then on the basis of this scripture, we would say that disqualifies him from being recognized as an overseer. And then the third one, which is a a slightly different rendering of the expression, the husband of one wife, is the idea that an overseer should be a one-woman man, in other words, not a philanderer, but faithful to one woman who is his wife, which, of course, is upholding the standards of holiness amongst God's people. So that was the uh, third criteria. He's a man, he was to be blameless, he was to be the husband of one wife. Um, And then the third point is that um, his children were to be believers and not wild or disobedient I think there's a uh, it's worth emphasising at this point the 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 addition in parentheses that Paul writes to Timothy he says if anyone does not know how to manage his own family how can he take care of God's church so again from the outside the brother who's about to be recognised as an overseer there should be a demonstrable track record within his own family that he is able to manage them and to, to teach them and be respected by them. I would emphasize that there, there comes a point when children become adults and move on and do their own thing. And I would say that this criteria uh, applies for the duration of the time when the, the brother has responsibility. For uh, his family and they are they need to be seen to be um, respectful and honouring to him. So there's um, four criteria out of 18 uh, with some additional specific points that we can just pick up from those couple of verses that demonstrate the nature and the appointment of elders in churches of God. I want to finish just by reading what Peter had to say in 1 Peter chapter 5, because it's very instructional for us all. It's not really about the appointment of overseers, which was Titus's task, but it's more about um, how overseers should behave and how the flock should behave towards them too. It also emphasizes the point about overseers being an example to the flock. So I'll just read this with no um, specific additional comment. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, not eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men in the same way be. Shall we pray?